One summer at church camp, I was leading a cabin of eighth grade girls. In hindsight, it seems like the leaders made a few questionable activity choices. After one meal, they served push pops. As you can imagine, uh, a few of our eighth grade girls were eating them kind of, well, suggestively, which made their table quite the popular one in the mess hall that night. Needless to say, I think a few of our Christian school kids got a different kind of education that week. Damn, I'm glad I didn't make it high school. Cause my best days would be in the past. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of season 2 of Unlearning Youth Group. We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learn back in youth group. We find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what is up, people? Uh, hopefully you brushed up on your testimonies and you're ready to uh, to go on to the next topic. <laughs> I've heard so many bad testimony stories recently that it's um, sometimes I hate the things we talk about because then it consumes me for like a week or two, yeah, but uh, yeah. they've, they've been pretty entertaining this week. Yeah. However, uh, we're going to talk about something that I think was more subtle. Today is less sexy than normal. It's more uh, something that I think actually hits us more as adults now because we don't even realize we're doing it, but it's the idea that we were taught and we taught other kids to choose their friends wisely, which that doesn't sound like it's a bad thing, but we told them the people you surround yourself with are who will influence you the most. Again, seems like a good idea. I did. I remember one time I did this illustration while teaching from stage. I got this big, strong rugby player to come on stage. And I also got the smallest freshman girl to come up at the same time. And I had a chair up there and I asked the little freshman girl, Hey, can you pick him up and put him in that chair? And obviously she couldn't. And then I had the big rugby player stand up in the chair and I said, Hey, can you pull him down? And the little girl was able to pull him out off the chair pretty easily. And the idea was that uh, our friends are able to pull us up or pull us down much easier than we are able to pull them up. And I think as kids, that was a really important thing to talk about because you do see that a bad company corrupts good morals. It's in the Bible. It's a, it's biblical principle. But what it ended up doing was it set us up to have an us versus them mentality and others mentality that there is something wrong with them because they're not the same as us. And now as adults, I don't think we recognize it as much as kids, but, but as adults, you start seeing the implications and ramifications of that in ways that just aren't healthy. Yeah. And I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, like since I didn't grow up in youth group as much, I didn't really start getting involved until you know, a little bit in middle school. And then, uh, but not even that, uh, this issue I kind of saw from the outside. So I give that, a, that perspective. Uh, on one hand, it was like it always seemed kind of like this is what was being lampooned in The Simpsons, at least the early Simpsons with the Flanders kids, uh, because you always had, you know, the Flanders kids were trying to like they didn't do the same thing that the Simpsons kids did. And Ned was like 
you know, Ned and his wife, I don't even know what Ned's wife's name was, but like they would always have some comparison as to why you couldn't hang out or do the things that the Simpsons uh, kids did. And it was, you know, showing in this funny way that like, no, no, we don't want to associate with you. But at the same time, the Flanders were always going over trying to evangelize a little bit to the Simpsons. So it's this weird dichotomy. And then it brought it to me and I was just thinking about this story. In like 96 or 97, I was in middle school, you know, it was like sixth, seventh grade and DC talk was coming to, uh, to our town. And you like, be careful group, if you're going to talk about, about DC talk. Well, yeah. Okay. So this group, of friends, this group of friends uh, that I had, or that I wanted to be a part of, they were talking about going to the concert, which I mean, like middle school, my parents would have never let me go to concerts or anything like that anyway. But like, Oh, we're going to go to the concert. And they'd ask questions like, Hey Eric, are you down with the DC talk? And I have this vivid memory of being like, oh, yeah, like we're sitting at lunch. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with DC Talk. And they're like, what's your favorite song? And I'm just like, I like all of them. You know, so like as a kid who never wasn't a part of that, like I, I had to fake loving DC Talk, even though I never, ever heard of that music in order to be welcomed in that group. And I remember I got invited to a birthday party of somebody that I never would have been invited to. Had I not said that I loved DC, oh, oh yeah, I can't go to the concert, oh, but I wish I could, guys, because they're they're so awesome. All of their songs, never heard of them. Oh, like now I kind of want to just have a DC Talk episode because I mean we've talked about them a DC couple of times this 90s. season so far. I know, yeah. and I just I I'm down with the DC Talk. That's just the yeah. way it is. That's right. Um, but okay concentrate jonathan because <laughs> i could go on a rabbit hole here um so anyways the i mean it, it's kind of this weird and we hit on it last season as well i christian culture ended up doing all of these crazy things to set up this us versus them thing i mean we ended up having god tube or um bible man or all of the do you even know what bible man is since you didn't grow up as a kid in church no, I didn't grow up as a kid in church, but uh, when when I was a part of a church plant in college, one of the uh, the worship leader for that church plant uh, worked at Family Christian Bookstore, and so I'd visit him all the time, and so I'd see like it was eye opening to see all of that stuff. So Bible Man and Veggie Tales and all that kind of stuff, like seeing it almost like an archaeologist digging it out as opposed to going through it in life. It had it just had a different it, it was a different perspective. But, but the Halloween, this... oh, the costumes that they had, Bible Man, they would have like a Halloween costume, <laughs> even though these kids wouldn't go trick or treating, like they'd still be able to dress up in their Bible Man costume. But we were so, but we were so scared of secular culture yeah. that we wouldn't. Ha- we would set up Hallelujah parties instead of Halloween because we didn't Stop want it. kids walking around their neighborhood being. That didn't happen. Like exposed to the occult or something. So instead we would have these fall festivals or hallelujah parties or whatever it might be so that we weren't around the secular kids any more than we absolutely had to be. I do remember uh, at one of the churches that I worked with, it was very, um, when we came up with like the Halloween trunk or treat, they they were very specific about now in the copy, you cannot use the word Halloween. You cannot use ghost. You cannot use witch. But we can talk about, uh, you know, dressing up or fall or we could say trunk or treat, but you can't say like there were words we couldn't say because we didn't want to tick off the fundamentalist. 
Christians that were in the group that, oh, well, I'm not going to that satanic the cult, blah, blah, blah. But even within youth group culture, we even had an us versus them because you had youth group versus young life. Yep. And youth group was the church kids and young life were the, the bad non-Christians who were just showing up to have fun. And so in youth group, we looked down on young life, even though young life was trying to teach those kids about Jesus that never would have stepped foot inside of our church. So there was this us versus them that looking back, we could have done a lot better job on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember in, you know, when I was leading student ministry, we did have, it was probably a sophomore. It was like a sophomore girl, real innocent girl. She, she had come to one of her friends invited her to a a young life gathering or whatever they call them. And she comes back and she goes, did you guys know that they cuss at young life? Like their people cuss in their meetings. And I was just like, Oh man, we are we are in a bad spot if like that's what we're worried about in that us versus them. And like it created this spot where uh you know like that the secular people were scary or that they were different or that they were wrong or they were people that you shouldn't be around, but at the same time you need to evangelize to them, you know? I I hear that story and I'm giggling because uh, one of my best friends, his name is Blaine. He just left over the summer a youth pastor job, and he's now like an area director for Young Life. And so he's yeah. making that switch. And I know he's riding down the road listening to this episode right now, and he is laughing. He's going to call me when he's done because the Young Life difference of like how different thing things are, but it's because it's a different approach. Right. It's not because it's us versus them or good versus yeah. bad or right. uh Christian versus unchristian, there's a different approach to the gospel so that every man, woman, and child can hear it and yeah. become a disciple. It's, it's that novel concept of it takes all of us, but for some reason in the 90s, the 2000s, we didn't even think about the idea that we could influence our friends who weren't believers and that we were called to build relationships with everyone for the sake of the gospel. It was just no don't go around those kids because then you might end up smoking. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that would be it is like, and then it was something silly like that, like, because you might end up smoking or you you might come home. Don't drink or cuss or hang. uh, What was it? Is it don't drink or cuss or something or hang out with those who do. I've got to look that up now because I want to say that. Don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Yep. That was a real saying I heard growing up in the town next to Tobaccoville, North Carolina. Uh, so it was a real that thing like, that I was taught growing up. And you, that was in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, even though it sounds like it comes straight out of like the 40s and 50s. Like still- oh, no, that was that was 90s North Carolina. So, yeah, yeah, it, I, I don't I look back. And I look at how I viewed my friends with different beliefs than me. And at no point in that relationship in middle school or high school, was there ever any attempt at empathy to understand where they're coming from or why they do what they do. It was just, that's a bad kid. I don't need to hang out with them. There was no like, Oh, his parents are divorced and he's stuck at home by himself all the time. 
and he's dealing with a hard home life. So that's why he does this and that. Or and if you and if you think about it, it's like it's like that scene in Lion King where Simba and Mufasa are together and he talks about like the entire everywhere the light touches, that's that's our kingdom. And then Simba's like, Well, what about that dark area? And all Mufasa says is like, We never go there. We just never yeah. go there. Like, don't do it. And then what's the first dang thing Simba does? He goes to the dark area, you know? So it's like how how stupid was that to be like, hey, those people's house, we never go there. Well, why? We just don't go there. Like Right. And not only do you lack that empathy to care about who those people are, but you also inadvertently for some people create more of a like, well, maybe I want to do it because they've got something fun that I get to do. Well, it goes back to the big sin episode we did earlier this season, like the dare idea. Like the first time right. we introduced the drugs is through dare when they're telling us right. not to do drugs. Yeah. And so when we make this an us versus them, when there's no understanding of people who are different than us, when there is no empathy towards people who maybe come from a different situation. It's just, no, we are good. They are bad. It's going to make kids more interested in why are they bad? Right. And one thing I do appreciate with uh, Gen Z and younger is there is a much more openness to people who are different than when we were growing up. And I think, I mean, there's, we could get into the good, the bad and the ugly of that. But at least from a, an understanding and willing to accept those who are different than us, they're much better at that than we were growing up when we did. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing about kind of the, the wrongness of this before we kind of move on to maybe where some of the good things were. Like you're saying, you're, if, if you are building within someone a framework mentally of there's an us versus them or there are good people and there are bad people and the people that are different than us and disagree with us are bad – that's now you are raising a group of Christian adults that uh, have particular feelings, not only about politics, but about the people on, quote unquote, the other side or about whatever's coming up. Now it's like it's not just, hey, someone has a different opinion than I do or they view the world differently than I do. It's literally that they are bad. They are, you know, insert any word you want to say. It becomes a moral issue as opposed to just a difference in perspective. And for people that are listening to this uh, right now, that's why we've been in the issues that we're in. I think in the in the last four to five years is that development of the of the evangelical of the conservative Christian movement that, if taken the wrong way, uh, demoralizes the people that are that are thinking and feeling different than us. If they are different, they are wrong and bad. Yes, and... not only wrong but also bad. Yeah. It's, it's not that we can disagree with life choices and accept people for who they are. It's automatically they are bad. And as we as we kind of transition into the what did we get right apart? Yes, there are people who live in sin. There are people who do things that as Christians, we believe are sinful and are against God's design. And from a spiritual perspective, heaven and hell, yes, they are quote unquote bad because they are unrepentant and are doing things outside of God's design. That doesn't mean they are terrible people. That doesn't mean that we should avoid them. It just means they have a different belief system than we do. And we have to find the balance of not being corrupted by people who are different than us versus loving people who are different than us because we're called to love everyone. And I think 
as I think back towards what did we get right, where was the good intention behind this approach that we're kind of ripping apart right now? I think one of the things I go to is the idea that, you know, for teenagers, especially who you're influenced by is a huge deal. There's that old saying that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I can look back and there's a couple people specifically that's popping in my head right now that when, when I was leading a student ministry, there were a couple kids who were heavily involved, but I knew once they went to college, they were going to leave the church and leave the faith because I knew who they hung out with and the value and belief systems of the people they hung out with. I knew it was just a matter of time that those kids would end up leaning that direction. And to a T, unfortunately, every single one of them has completely left the church, has left their faith, and is now more like those other friends than they were the youth group kids. And so there is a balance to figuring out who we hang out with because, like I mentioned earlier, First Corinthians says bad company corrupts good morals or good character. So the idea we do have to be careful, but I don't think we have to shun others. Yeah. And I think as a parent, you know, if anybody out there is a parent, like, of course, right now, my kids are eight and nine years old and I care very deeply about who they're hanging out with um, because I want to make sure that they are hanging out with people that are influencing, that are good influences. So I think like there's, there is definitely a good side to that. But I think just like you said, like if you have people, if you, if you insulate or protect or even just like say, Hey, you can't hang out with these types of people or have them avoid those situations. And like you said, once they get, once your kids get out of your care, um, you don't know how they're going to react and you don't know what they're going to do. And the first time they have an interaction with, you know, somebody that's different than them and they realize, Oh, this person's, this person's okay. Which is right. Because like that, like you said, they're not immoral, um, immoral people inherently, but like now they might be influenced and gone down that, or they start deconstructing in their mind, all of the things that you as a parent have set up and go, well, I don't know why mom and dad kept me away from them. So there is this healthy balance between, yes, I want to make sure that my kids are around good and healthy influences, but as a parent and as a Christian, I also need to be careful that I'm not demonizing the other, the other person. Um, so, because you, you know, that average of the, of the five people you're closest to, that also includes uh, your lifestyle that includes your net worth. You know, there's been studies done that your net worth will be about the average of your closest five friends. And so being successful on any level that you can consider is very important for the people that were around, even the business side, your connections are going to, it's, you know, it's more about who you know than what you know. So all of that is super important. The guardrails we need to stick to is making sure that we are not uh, demonizing or not, you know, inserting in a judgment that doesn't need to be there. One of the things I think about a lot, because you said this a second ago, there are a couple of kids that my wife would absolutely love my six-year-old daughter to stop hanging out with right now because right. they they come from different value systems than we do. And we were in the car the other day and Olivia goes, daddy, I don't know the F word or the S word or the D word or the A word or the H word. I don't know those. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're six, so I hope you don't. She goes, but I know who does. I was like, well, who? She goes, oh, I don't remember who it is, but I know some kids at daycare and at school, they know those words. I was like, all right, well, that's okay. Different families have different 
value systems of things that they can and can't say. In our family, right. we don't say those words, but when you get older, we'll talk about that and we'll, we'll teach you what they mean and what, how to use them and what, when and why and when not to. But I made very specifically clear that we weren't going to judge those other families for having different right. belief systems than we do. I was going yeah. to teach her what our belief system is. And as she's old enough to understand things, I'll teach her more of the why and the what and the all those things. But right now, she knows, okay, we don't say those words. They do. And she hasn't pressed further on it because she's six. She's going to eventually, and we'll have to have more conversations about that. But I wanted her to understand. And if I can teach my kids at five and six years old, hey, other people have different beliefs than us, and that's okay. Then when they become 16 years old, it's easier to to talk to them about the friends they should and shouldn't be hanging out with and putting the guardrails in there than if I just said, they're good, we're good, they're bad, stop. And I think the where we got it right to in or where, you know, the good intention behind it is like when the talks or when the focus wasn't as much about like choosing, you know, we're going to separate sheep and goats and separate out people, but more about like when you go into those environments, be an influencer rather than being influenced or being strong in who you know that you are rather than being swayed by every wind, uh, you know, every changing wind. Like, that's good because if I could tell my kids anything, it'd be like, uh, you know, I want them to be the influencer when they are in other areas. In fact, you know, the thing that I repeat to, uh, um, to my youngest is, you know, I say, hey, look around, think about it. If everybody was doing what you were doing, would the world be better? Right. Like if everybody okay. around you was doing what you're doing right now, would this situation be better or worse? And I want him to think about his influence on the people around him. And so in youth group, we would do that before, you know, like where maybe we didn't do such a great job of like you, you're going to be persecuted for your faith and you got to stand strong and blah, blah, blah. But like more so on, hey, you know, when you are walking into some of these environments, do not be swayed and influenced but be the one that can be the influencer on others. And that's not in a way to other others, but like the loving, the accepting, the grace, the kindness. You want people to say, I would rather be more like this person and be that influence. And I think the more we emphasize that, that was that was the good in, in this type of conversation. Yeah. And I'm running for city council right now, which is a strange thing to say, even though the election's next week. But one of my reasons for doing that is because in our town, there is a fundamentalist Baptist church that has a lot of influence and they're very othering, very like, oh, we don't do that. Those people do that. And so my town has a view of Christianity and that's what Christians are. And so this entire campaign, I don't care if I win or lose next week. I really don't. If I could spend the last two months showing everyone in my town there's a way to follow Jesus and respect those who disagree with us and be- believe differently than us. I, I will consider that a win. If I can do that, even if I don't get as much many votes as other people, then that will be a win for me because like you were just saying, I, it's important for us to set that influence up in a positive direction that shows people Jesus instead of runs away from things because we're too scared that they'll take us away from Jesus. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that's right. It's setting that example. So if you look at that Corinthians passage that you talked about, bad company corrupts good character. Well, let's take that that opposite and say, like, you know, can good 
character corrupt bad company. And, you know, that may not be biblically uh, accurate on that. But if you think about just in that way of like, okay, bad company will corrupt your good character. What, what does good character do? And how can you establish that in being something that other people want to emulate? Almost as if, I don't know, the gospels were wrapped around somebody who, um, you know, emulated things that you wanted to uh, wanted to be just like. Nope, Jesus never hung out with bad people. You're wrong. Right. Jesus never did that. How crazy is that on some of those churches? And again, I don't want to dunk on a bunch of individual churches, but like that completely missed that part. We will preach out of the woman caught in adultery or Zacchaeus or the tax collector or, you know, all these, the Pharisees pointing at Jesus and going, man, look at who he's hanging out with. We'll preach on those things. But those churches don't actually live that out and realize, oh, well, if that's what he's doing, then maybe that's what our lives should look like too. Imagine what the American church would look like if we started doing a little bit more of that. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, where do we go from here? How do we take the good and use it to move us forward? Like what are what are some practical things we can do both in our personal lives now and as we train up the next generation? Yeah, there's a couple of like ising um, terminology that we need to just stop. So like don't otherize, don't demonize other people, um, you know, like if you can look at another person and say that this person is an image bearer of God, this is someone who is created by God. They may not be living that way and they may not be doing it, but at some point you have to remember, like, that's not, that's not my job to demonize them. That's not my job to otherize them. It's my job to love them like Christ would have loved them. And whether it's, you know, religious, social, political, you know, whatever the category, we have to learn how to be friends with people who view the world in different ways than we do while still holding firm to our beliefs. I I just, I, our neighbors are going to have different beliefs than us. We can't avoid them because maybe they drink alcohol just a little more than we're comfortable with. We can't avoid them because maybe they're a little anal about their yard and we're we're afraid that if we step in their yard, they're going to get mad at us. No, we need to be building relationships with them so that we earn the right to speak the gospel into their lives if and when they need to hear it. Yeah. And I think you and I, you know, we, uh, it wouldn't be a, a podcast with us on it if we don't drop that we're marketers, but you know, from a marketing background, uh, we talk about a lot with our, with our secular clients or that, there's this thing called the curse of knowledge. And, it, you know, it's like it's it's this other piece for us, too, where, um, you know, we can't think that we know what the people we're trying to reach are going through or experiencing. We can't reach them with the gospel unless we actually, you know, know what they're going through and experiencing them. And you can't you can't work with somebody. You can't think about somebody in a positive light unless you've actually had a relationship with somebody like that. So, um as much as possible, getting involved in the people, the people and the places you want to reach with the gospel, you need to be in community and doing life with those people on some level to understand where it is that they're coming from. Otherwise, your sermon series, your Bible studies, all the things that you're saying are, are not going to be applicable because it's not going to be solving the problem that they have. It's not going to be going after the desire that they want because you don't really know and experience what they know and experience. We, the only way we can earn the right to be heard and earn the right to speak into their lives with the gospel is if we're actually building relationships with them. And 
that comes with putting ourselves in some uncomfortable positions. But to do that, we have to be firm enough in our faith to be able to withstand those right. positions. We have to know why we believe what we believe. We have to know our convictions and our temptations. I'm not telling the alcoholic to go into the bar. I'm not doing, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you're an alcoholic, go hang out with the friend of the cookout if everyone else is going to be drinking. That might not be safe for you, but that's the outlier. There are places you could go to breakfast with that person. You could go do whatever, X, Y, Z. There are ways we can't just avoid everybody because they're different than us or because they do things that we might struggle with. Yep. And I think that that's what you saw. You know, you, you told the story and, and I've got those stories too of students that are now adults or have gone through college and they've walked away from the faith because the foundation of their faith is not strong. And I think as youth leaders, so any of the youth leaders listening now or anyone who's uh, who's worked or volunteered with me, like I'm going to apologize right away now if we've done this wrong because I know I've done it wrong in cases. But like establishing rules over the reason and the values behind those rules sets people up for disappointment and deconstruction and, you know, this sandcastle faith once they are uh, released out into the wild, so to speak. And so if all we are doing with our students, if all we have been told is like, don't do this because it's bad, don't hang out with this person because they're a Democrat or because they vote differently or think differently or because they posted something like this on social media. Like I literally, I was in a meeting with somebody from a church that if you posted a black square on your Instagram during, uh, you know, back during last year, during the, um, the black lives matter movement, sure. like that person was now, we're not considering them for volunteering, you know, if they were on staff or talking about that just because of that. So like we have, we have done our people a disservice if we talk about rules or if we talk about these, uh, these external things, as opposed to giving them the basis and the foundation, which is, Yes, you need to stand strong and know your morals and your conviction and therefore need to be a good uh, inspiration and example to others. But absolutely, do not teach this right versus wrong rules only approach to the people that we're trying to reach. You know, it's easy to for people who act differently than us to influence us if we don't know the why behind how we act. Mm -hmm. If it's just a, these are the rules, this is what I was told to do. I have to act this way. And when someone comes and says, is that right? Is that, is that, it's almost like it's the same argument from the garden of, did God really say that? Right. Then once one of those things is torn down, the rest of them are easily torn out. It goes back to the brick wall versus trampoline faith. We mentioned last year in, I think it was episode eight of season one. So if you go back and listen, that it's the idea that once one thing is torn down of this brick wall faith, then everything is torn down. So if we only know the rules and not the reasons, it's easier to have people influence us in negative ways. And then another way to say that is it's easy to influence people or it's, or it's easy for people to influence our behavior if we don't understand our beliefs. Right. So, so as we move forward, as we think about training the next generation, whether that's in student ministry or with our kids or whatever, we have to teach them the why behind the what. We can't settle for just a rule-based theology, a rule-based relationship with Jesus. We have to, the gener our generation kind of started it. The generations behind us are taking it to a next level of people want to understand why. 
Don't just tell me what, tell me why. And if you can tell me why, then I can get on board with it. But if we try to tell people what, we're never going to have any success in doing this the right way. Yep. And I think it's also, uh, it's also being so limited into you have to do this this way and not thinking through um, some of the other implications too. Because if there's only one way to treat people, if there's only one type of person that's good and one type of person that's bad, you're going to create people who are going to walk away from the faith. Absolutely. And the, the whole point of this podcast is to unlearn those bad things so that we can have a better, more mature, healthier faith instead of leaving it. We're not trying to unlearn to leave. We're trying to unlearn to do better. But that's that's everything. It's the heart behind everything we talk about. It's why we did this episode. We could probably keep going, but we do try to respect your time. Uh, so we're going to cut it off here for this week. Eric, can you give the people an idea of what we're talking about in our season finale next week? Oh, man, uh, this is probably a conversation that you've had around some sort of holiday gathering or anytime you get around a group of, uh, you know, those relatives of a certain age with any one of your choices that you've ever had. And they're going to use that excuse of, oh, you know, your body is a temple, so you shouldn't do that, right? So you come and you show them the new tattoo that you just got. Oh, you know, your body is a temple. You shouldn't do that. Or, you know, whatever decision you're deciding to make, you've got people of a certain age and a certain mentality that somehow uh, are trying to uh, use that as the reason why you should or shouldn't do something. So we're going to answer a couple of questions. Should you uh, get a tattoo if you're a Christian? Should you smoke if you're a Christian? What should you eat if you're a Christian? Uh, so if you've ever heard somebody tell you something about your lifestyle choice uh, and use the reason your body is a temple, you're going to want to tune in next week. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Um, share this episode with a friend if you enjoyed it. Uh, but we will be back next week with that episode, and we can't wait to hang out with you then. Have a great week.